0: Know Your Food with Warty, episode 101. For links and more, visit the show notes at knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash 101. See you there. Hey everyone, welcome to Know Your Food with Warty. I'm Wardy in Southwest Oregon, a traditional food blogger at Traditional Cooking School by Glens. You can find me at traditionalcookingschool.com and knowyourfoodpodcast.com. I'm so glad you're here. This is the podcast where we're all about embracing whole foods, raised, saved, and prepared with traditional methods. It's fun, it's delicious, and it's healthy. You're on your way to looking good, feeling good, and most importantly, doing good. Welcome everyone. I hope you've had a blessed week. We've got a great episode for you today, starting with the tip of the week, how to cook pastured chicken. Here's the problem. We aren't engineering our chickens to be plump and juicy, right? We're raising heritage breeds often, or we are um, um, eating an older laying hen. And so you might have noticed that pastured meat can sometimes turn out dry or tough after cooking. Um, Also, our birds are less meaty. They have less fat on them, so they can dry out easily when they're cooked in the oven or on the grill. They weigh less overall. They have smaller breasts. Um, So basically, we have this kind of issue of our pastured birds are turning out um, dry, not as good. And, you know, we've spent all this time raising them. We may have spent a lot of money to buy one that somebody else raised. So we definitely want to cook them right. And so that is the topic of the cook of the tip of the week today. I am going to give you just one tip and you can find the rest because we have quite a few at knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash pastured chicken, where pastured chicken is one word. The one tip I want to give you that really works is to spend a little time before cooking on seasoning or tenderizing your chicken. Here's how it works. If you take the time to tenderize it, um, you will end up with chicken that is just more tender. What you do is, you know, if you've acquired a bird from somebody else or you've butchered it yourself, after cleaning it and plucking it, you're going to put it um, in the fridge, and you could put it in a tray or a dish, or you could put it in a Ziploc bag, you know, something just to catch any liquids Um that may leak out and you're gonna let it sit in your refrigerator for two to five days. During this time, the muscles relax, the meat becomes more tender than if you cooked it right after butchering and it makes a huge difference. Now, let's say you happen to have purchased a bird from somebody else, but what if you purchased a bird from somebody else and it came frozen? Well, this works too. All you do is let the chicken thaw in the fridge for a few days before you cook it. And I want you to know this works for more than just chicken. The other day, We got um, organs from a friend. They had butchered a few um, Jersey cows. So they were, you know, older cows and not necessarily meat cows. And um, nobody else wanted the organs, but we did. So we got them all at a really good price. Um, And so we got them home and I prepped them all for the freezer. But one heart I left out. And that heart we ate for a few days. Now, the way I fix heart is I usually slice it very thinly and I fry it in butter with, you know, onions or mushrooms, and I season with salt, pepper, garlic. And, you know, heart has this very distinct texture. I love it. It's actually not tough to me, but it is a little bit chewy, um, and it has a fantastic flavor. I love heart. It could be my favorite cut of meat. Well, this heart in particular, I did about half of it right when right when we got it. So, And it had been in a cooler for a couple days, I think, about... Probably less than two days. It had been just very, very cold, kept on ice in a cooler. And it was um, pretty good, but it was a little bit chewier than previous hearts I've had. So the other half of the heart, I left in the fridge for another three days. Then I sliced it thinly and fixed it the same way. And it had relaxed. It was amazing. It was perfect texture. Yes, a little chewy because the heart is chewy. But it wasn't tough, chewy at all. It was perfect. So this seasoning really, really works. This tenderizing where you just let the muscles of your homegrown meats relax in the fridge. It really works. So that is tip number one about cooking pastured chickens or cooking any pastured meat is to let it tenderize first. We do have at the link I told you about earlier, knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash chicken, a whole bunch of methods Um, Our contributing writer, Lindsay, put them together for you and we have a whole bunch of methods of cooking your pastured chicken once you let it tenderize. So she covers stewing in the crock pot, pressure cooking, braising, roasting, and grilling. So you definitely want to go to knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash pastured chicken to check out the complete set of tips to end up with tender, juicy pastured chicken. It'll make all the difference. And for today's listener question, this comes from Dory. She says, hi, I have two boys that seem to have some behavioral issues. My one son gets headaches once a week as well. I have looked and researched a lot about Weston A. Price and nourishing traditions. I feel overwhelmed. My husband um, is unsupportive. He doesn't believe the kids could be gluten intolerant. We eat a lot of bread and I just feel stressed with all the work traditional foods require and doing it on my own. I like what I read on your page, but I'm nervous that I'm going to buy another product and have it not work. I get really discouraged when I make food and nobody wants to eat it. I'm not a real fan of the kitchen. I'm overwhelmed with, try Paleo, try Weston-A-Price, try Gluten-Free. It never seems to stick or work for me. I watched a couple of your YouTube videos. How do you work with the preparation? Like, take 8 hours or take 12 hours. Do you have a plan for how to start my day and how to go about doing it all? Without feeling completely stressed out, I've been praying a lot to know what to do. Thank you for your time and God bless you. Okay, Dory. Well, I want you to know I know exactly where you are. I've been there and sometimes I still am. I know the feeling about making food and nobody wants to eat it. I know the feeling of reading out there and somebody tells you one thing and somebody tells you another and you don't know what to do. I know the feeling of, well, maybe they're gluten intolerant, or maybe they're sensitive to such and such, or or maybe it's this, or maybe it's that. And I just want to encourage you to persevere. We may not have all the answers, but we can move forward and we can just get better one step at a time. We also have to realize that, yes, not everybody's going to like what we make. (laughs) In my family still, and we've been on this journey for a long time, there are certain foods that I love that the family doesn't love. And that's okay uh, it's, it's hard in the moment to be, to say to yourself, that's okay. But you just really have to tell yourself it's okay. Um, I like, I'm not even going to go into it, but it's just, you know, it's just something we all deal with anywhere on our journey. So I just want to give you some, um, general recommendations for you starting your journey or picking up your journey at this point with what you've learned and what you've been exposed to about traditional foods and traditional cooking through our site. Um, just want to give you some general ideas and encouragement about that. Um, okay, so here we go. I just want to start off by saying, I know it can be easy to to, um, to be overwhelmed. And the way to fight that is to take it one step at a time. So I just want to give you some suggestions that you can try one at a time. and. I feel that all of them are going to work together to improve your family's health and those behavioral issues a little over time, but I can't promise and I can't say that, you know, if you do something today that tomorrow you're going to notice. I think you have to stick with it and give it time and realize that one thing like that gluten-free you mentioned, gluten-free may not be it. Gluten-free may be one piece of the puzzle because the fact is the way we live now, our modern society, our modern eating habits, our modern foods everything's whacked. Everything. So fixing one thing doesn't necessarily, or I should say changing one thing doesn't necessarily fix all our problems. It's a piece of the puzzle. And we got to find all the pieces of the puzzle that um, are affecting you. So I want you just to try one thing at a time. And you're talking about making an investment. And sure, if you sign up for our traditional cooking school, then that's making an investment. But you don't have to do that to test the waters here. You could. Of course, I think if you did join us, we could help you, um, you know, get over the overwhelm faster, but if the money is an issue, try some things before, you know, try a couple of things I'm going to talk about. Um, so either way, this is going to work, whether you, you come on board or you try some things. So here's a few things that could help you right off the bat. Um, and these are some basic tips that I give everyone, um, To switch to traditional fats. I don't know what you're using in your house. If you're using veggie oils and margarine or... Um, you know, the the processed non-traditional fats, but just switch over to traditional fats. Um, Use butter, tallow, lard, coconut oil. You can use them in baking too. Uh, We've got some helpful hints on our site for making over your favorite recipes to be more healthy. And one of the tips included is on baking with fats. So you can find that at knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash makeovers. It's specifically for holiday recipes. There's information there on sweeteners, condensed milk, you know, things that are in holiday recipes. So you can kind of use it for many of your recipes, holiday or not. Um, but switching traditional fats is going to make a big difference in all of your health. Um, because the veggie oil, the rancid veggie oils, the processed veggie oils, the margarine, they make us sick. The healthy fats give us, um, The fat-soluble vitamins we need. Um, It gives us the right kind of fats. Our bodies are mostly made of saturated fats, and so we need to eat mostly saturated fats. And and so make that switch, and if possible, switch to the ones that come from healthy animals. So like butter from grass-fed cows or Um, cows that are mostly fed on grass. Like in our area, if I was going to go to the grocery store and I had to buy butter, um, I would choose Tillamook butter because I know that their cows are mostly fed grass. It's a conventional option, but it's a pretty healthy conventional option. So, um, and then like coconut oil, you want to look for the least refined possible. If your family doesn't care for the coconut flavor, then you could work in a little refined coconut oil just so that the flavor is mild enough that they like it, but you get the most health benefits possible. Now I got to move more quickly through these tips, but fats is just a biggie that you could change right off the bat. Another is to make and eat bone broth. So chicken bones, beef bones, um, wild game bones, sheep, you need to make and eat broth. And how and you need to eat it (laughs) so there's lots of ways to get your broth in um, so people don't feel like they're just drinking a cup of broth which personally I find delicious another one of those weird things but you could do it with a soup base gravies and sauces just use broth every day in one meal a day so a sauce or a soup Um, we've got a great recipe for making perpetual broth on the traditional cooking school blog. You can go to knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash perpetual for more information on that. Um, Okay, another thing to switch is pastured meats. So if you are using conventional meats, The fat profile, the way the animals have been fed, that meat is not not nutritious. Um, Whereas pastured meats have the right fats in them; the animal was fed right. It's a healthier food for you. So you could start out by simply, instead of conventional ground beef, to get grass-fed ground beef, which is more expensive, yes, but also you know fairly economical. Um, And if you're filling your diet with good fats and veggies. Um, you may find, you probably will find that your meat stretches farther. So I just want to encourage you to investigate pastured meats instead of conventional meats. Another thing is cultured foods. Are you eating any cultured foods? And think about what your sons and your husband might like. So if it's yogurt, seek out or make your own homemade yogurt. Um, So you've got the best milk that you can get and you know it has active cultures and you know it's not Full of like non fat dry milk powder, or it doesn't have a whole bunch of sugar in it. Um, and what you're gonna do is take your plain yogurt and you're gonna dress it up how they like. Like if they like fruit, you could use your homemade jams where you reduce the sugar or used honey or stevia to sweeten. You could use fresh fruit. Um, you could, what I love is I eat this every morning. I take our homemade yogurt, I add a little bit of lemon ext- extract, and I add. Um, Stevia, and I love the sweet leaf stevia brand because there's no aftertaste, and that is a just a beautiful lemon yogurt. You could also use like vanilla and honey, and have a honey vanilla yogurt. There's so many ways to dress up. You can use maple extract. Um, It's just it's just delicious. So if they like yogurt, that's a great way to get probiotics in. It's a great um, simple cultured food, and then later on you could look into like sauerkraut or other you know pickles. If they like it now, you could try making those now. Um, a, home, a, hof, a soft homemade cheese is very easy, where you're culturing the milk and dripping it through cheesecloth, and then you've got your own spreadable soft cheese. So you could use that instead of store-bought cream cheese. And the benefit is yours would have probiotics. Um, so it's just it's an example of cultured foods. And if you feel that your son's... Um, are having health issues, possibly you and your husband, cultured foods is kind of tip number one <laughs> because we all need a stronger immune system um, and the gut is the key to that. Another suggestion for you is to play around with simple sourdough. Like you're mentioning going gluten free, um, so you could. Um, you could do a gluten-free sourdough English muffins. We have um, variations for that and instructions for that in our sourdough A to Z uh, cookbook. Or, or maybe an ancient grain would work for your sons. Like maybe you could use einkorn or spelt instead of modern wheat. But either way, you may find a bread that you guys love and that your husband is like, honey, you need to keep making these because seriously... Um, it's hard to think that even the pickiest husbands or sons wouldn't love these sourdough English muffins and you can feel good, you know, that they love them number one, but number two, it's sourdough. So it's prepared the grains for better digestion. It's also extremely easy. And, um, yeah, you may, if you're going to go with ancient grains or gluten-free flours, it may be more expensive than, you know, plain old wheat. But you're definitely going to save money over buying it, definitely. And they're so much better than, in terms of delicious and health, than anything you could buy. Um, so I suggest you start with that. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you our link to the English muffin recipe on the blog. It'll be in the show notes. KnowYourFoodPodcast.com/slash one hundred and one, or you can go to TraditionalCookingSchool.com and you can search for sourdough English muffins. Um, and then just know that if you need to pursue gluten free. You could do that in our sourdough ebook. Um, the English muffin recipe, as written on the blog, is with wheat flour, but I make it with spelt and I make it with einkorn. And we love them. In fact, I make batches two or three times a week, and I have been for years. I hardly ever do a loaf bread because this is the easiest bread. It's so versatile. We love it. I sound like a broken record, I know, because I bring it up all the time. Okay, now other things for you. I really feel you know, you're know you worrying about making a commitment to our program, Traditional Cooking School. Well, we do have a free traditional cooking video series. I don't. You may have tried it already, but in case you haven't, you can find that at knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash free. Um, And it's going to walk you through just some basic fundamentals of traditional foods, some things that you can change in your life. And remember, I'm talking about making one change at a time. You don't have to do all these things at once. Just do one at a time. So if you want to start, do the soaking of grains, which prepares them for better digestion, we have a free video on that. If you want to learn to cook dry beans from scratch and do a good, effective soaking to reduce the complex carbohydrates so people can better digest them. Um, we have a video on that these are very inexpensive things to try and in fact if money is an issue you will save money if you go through the steps that we show because you're taking these um you're taking these whole ingredients you know and if you if you buy a big bag of rice or a big bag of beans it's definitely you know cheaper than uh, canned beans for instance so um It's not going to be something where you're wasting money. It's going to be something where you're trying it and you're taking baby steps. You're not making a huge commitment. You're just trying something and seeing how your family does. Um, And if they already like, you know, beans and chili or if they already like a stir fry with rice, you know, chances are pretty good. They're going to like what you make here. Now, you did have a question about what about all those prep steps? Like, what's the whole eight hours before, 12 hours before, 24 hours before? How do I work that in? Well, it's really not as complicated as it sounds. Um, it's basically you're doing things like the day, the, the night before the morning of. And what I do is I do those prep steps when I'm in the kitchen anyway. So if I'm in the kitchen for breakfast, I'm doing some prep steps for dinner. If I'm in the kitchen at dinner, I'm doing some prep steps for breakfast the next day. Um, I'm not really adding extra times in the kitchen. Doesn't mean that I don't occasionally, but the bulk of the traditional cooking prep happens when I'm in the kitchen already. And I don't don't really do things in eight hour cycles. I really do them in 12 hour cycles because it's much more convenient. That's the one I'm just telling you about, where if you're in the kitchen at dinner, you're doing something for the next morning. If you're in the kitchen in the morning, you're doing something for that dinner. Um, An exception to that would be the English muffins. Like if I'm starting the sourdough English muffin dough in the morning, I'm actually cooking them in the afternoon, so it is about eight hours, so I'm doing it before dinner. Um, But quite often I make up the dough the night before, and I cook them the next morning, so that's 12 hours. Okay, so I hope, I know it's a lot, um, but I hope what I've shown you is just simple things that you can change, that you can tackle one at a time to skip the overwhelm, to try things out for your family, um, hopefully some things that they will love. And there are all kinds of links for you waiting in the show notes at knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash 101. Thanks, Dory. Going to take a quick break and I'll be right back. Hi, I'm Warty, a traditional cooking expert and food blogger at gnaufglunds.com. For years, my family struggled with food-related health problems, but we don't anymore. And I'd love to show you that preparing whole foods with traditional methods is easy, delicious, and super good for you, too. So just go to traditionalcookingschool.com free, and I'll show you how easily you can do it, too. I'll give you five free videos that include my favorite traditional cooking techniques, plus printable at-a-glance fact sheets as a handy reference. So, if you're ready to start looking good, feeling good, and most importantly, doing good, then visit traditionalcookingschool.com slash free today. I am thrilled to introduce you to my guest today, Paul Munson. Paul Munson is the owner of the All-American Sun Oven. So we're going to talk about solar cooking, which is so exciting. Now, Paul's going to share his story with you. He's been involved in this project for 18 years. It's gone all over the world. It's helping people all over uh, the world to cook with the power of the sun, so no electricity, no smoke, um, very easy. His sun oven actually is very cool. you have to check out the show notes for a picture, knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash 101, because there's a picture of Paul carrying it. It just carries like a suitcase. Um, so, and the best part about this upcoming interview is that Paul is so generous with all his tips. I learned a ton, and his website has even more. So, sun oven cooking is is easy you do need to adjust a little bit and he is so generous with adjusting your methods the sun oven can cook like a crock pot it can cook like an oven like you're roasting it can dehydrate food and it's so it's simply a matter of adjusting your um you know what containers you cook in and where you position the sun oven to the sun and simple things like that it sounds so easy as you'll hear in the oven, in in the interview, I do have an oven. I received it this winter from Paul, and I'm just waiting for the sun. In Oregon, um, it's overcast quite a bit, so I haven't been able to um, do sun oven cooking yet. But I'm going to. Um, and also as you'll hear in the interview We just this week at traditional cooking school Released a lesson on sun oven cooking to our members So if you're a member you can log in and check those out For links and more all about today's episode Go to the show notes Knowyourfoodpodcast.com 101 To check out the special offer that Paul has for you You'll want to go to knowyourfoodpodcast.com sunoven sun oven There's a fantastic package waiting for you there um, that's good through the end of February 2015. But if you're listening to this afterward, you still want to visit knowyourfoodpodcast.com sunoven because Paul will keep that page updated with current packages um, and discounts. So now I'm going to turn to my interview with Paul. Enjoy.
1: Hey, everyone. This is Wardy. I'm here with Paul Munson, um, All-American Sun Oven. Hi, Paul.
2: Hi. Good to be with you.
1: It's great to have you. I've been looking forward to this for quite a while to pick your brain about sun oven cooking and or solar cooking and sun ovens. So let's start though before we dive into that. I'd just like to hear a little bit about you personally. Can you tell us about you?
2: Sure. Um, I actually live in Illinois. Um, My wife and I have a a few acres in a farming community in um, rural town in um, DeKalb County, Illinois, about uh, 60 miles west of Chicago and I'm married and a proud father of three kids and um eight grandchildren and I've been working with uh Sun ovens for about 18 years and we do a lot around the world so I've had the opportunity to teach Sun oven cooking um on five different continents and a whole wide variety of different types of environments and um really looking forward to sharing more information about it with you.
1: That is fantastic and I just love hearing about your large and happy family. That's wonderful. Can you start by telling us your journey? I mean, you said you've been working with solar cooking sun ovens for 18 years. How did it begin for you? What what got you interested in it?
2: What got you well, started
1: into it? Mm-hmm.
2: I had a small home-based uh, business, to uh, business uh, consulting business, marketing consulting business, uh, back in the um, late 90s, and one of my customers introduced me to a gentleman. His name was Tom Burns, who invented the sun oven, and Tom had um, uh, retired from, he owned a chain of restaurants and uh, retired from the restaurant business very successfully. And then he put everything he had into developing the Sun Ovens and uh, well over $2 million. And at the point that I was introduced to him, the um, uh, bankers were really pressuring him to sell the home he'd lived in for more than 40 years to pay debts that he'd accumulated in developing the Sun Ovens. And um, I got involved to try to help him just on a pro bono basis because I saw the need for son ovens around the world and, um, saw how much good they did in keeping women and children actually alive, um, due to not having to inhale as much smoke and, uh, the whole number of issues internationally with it. But I saw the need for it internationally and, uh, started working with Tom to help him out. And then, um, at the point I started working with him is in late seventies. And, After a period of time, he just wasn't able to continue with making the sun ovens, so um, I put together some investors who were able to pay off his bank loans, and then we moved the making of the sun ovens from Wisconsin to Illinois in um, 1998, and we've been working on it ever since.
1: Wow. that's um, Uh, uh, The word for that is? I don't know, I want to say divine intervention, but I just think how wonderful that there was a need, you stepped in to help, and the timing of it, and then, of course, now it's been 18 years of you continuing to work on it and spread your passion worldwide, and now you're here today, and we're going to talk about it more, so that's fantastic. So just for the sake of our our listeners who may be unfamiliar with solar cooking and the sun oven, let's just do a general... Um, Roundup um, explanation. Tell us about the sun oven and the possibilities. Mm -hmm.
2: Well, sun oven, the simplest way to think of it is just a a well insulated box that you can place in the sun, and due to the unique materials we use to make a sun oven. um, and when it's um, you have good full sun outside, it will get as high as 400 degrees Fahrenheit in the oven's chamber. And even though we call it an oven, it can boil food and steam foods as well as baked foods. So other than fried foods, pretty much anything that you'd cook on your stovetop or in your regular oven can be cooked in the sun oven just with the power of the sun. Um Probably the most amazing thing about the sun oven that people are just blown away when they start um, using it is that nothing ever burns in the sun oven and nothing dries out. So it's a really forgiving way to cook. So when you're cooking in it, it's, it's very hard to um, screw anything up because uh, with the even non-drying heat and the non-burning um It uh, really makes it very, very easy to use and a lot of ways easier to use than cooking on the stovetop or inside a conventional oven.
1: Wonderful. I want to mention for our listeners that the timing of this couldn't be better because, at traditional cooking school, we are currently in the process of building out a class on cooking outside, and of course, we couldn't do that without some sun oven cooking. So, this very week, our friend Tammy Trayer from Trayer Wilderness um, has come on board to. Um, release a set of videos on Sun Oven cooking right in the member area. So if you're a traditional cooking school member, you definitely want to log in this week and see the Sun Oven and all it can do. It's fabulous. Well, Paul, let's talk a little bit more about um, the Sun Oven. Give us. Um, you gave us a great introduction to kind of what it can do and how it works. Can you give us, practically speaking, like an example meal and how we go about Maybe choose your favorite, your favorite thing to cook in the Sun Oven and sure. walk us through the steps.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, um, one of my favorite things to cook in the Sun Oven is chicken. Um, when you make a roast chicken, it's just so moist and so succulent because of the non-drying heat in the Sun Oven. When you make a chicken, any time I've ever made a chicken in a public demonstration served and served anybody who's eaten it has thought I'd marinated it in something really unique because its own natural juices just stay in it. but one of the really different things about the sun oven is this: you can choose how long you want to cook the chicken for with pretty much the same results. If you, say, take a three-pound chicken and you put it in a pot, maybe throw some potatoes, carrots, onions in with it. If you preheat the sun oven and then put the chicken in the sun oven, and if you realign the sun oven every 30 minutes to follow the sun, you can cook a three-pound chicken in about an hour and a half. Or you could take a frozen chicken, put it with the potatoes, carrots, onions, whatever else you want to add with it in the first thing in the morning, set the sun oven facing south where the sun's going to be in the middle of the day, leave for the day and come back at supper and have a cooked roast. So you can cook the same chicken in an hour and a half, or you can cook it in 10 or 12 hours and you're going to get exactly the same result, um, either way. And it works out wonderfully. So it, uh, Um, the reason that the the meat comes out so moist is that when you're cooking in the sun oven, you're just heating air around the food, and there's no movement of air. So consequently, it's just the natural heat. Probably the closest thing people would relate to is a convection oven in the way that it has um, even um, heat all the way around it, and that's why the meat comes out so good. But um, because the sun oven has an airtight seal, and once it gets warm um it retains the heat very well. You can slow cook if you choose to, and um you know it, it's a very low maintenance thing as far as cooking is concerned,
1: so that is so interesting. I love that example. basically, what you showed us was that you the way you're setting it up and the timing of it. you can either do it like a slow cooker or like it's you know in a hot hot oven. Mm-hmm. And you can adjust it, you know, based on, well, if you had to be away for the whole day, then you're doing it like a slow cooker. If you're there right. and able to rotate it every 30 minutes or three times, it's like putting a roast chicken in the oven.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you do rotate it every 30 minutes, your cooking time for most things in the Sun Oven is only about 15 minutes longer than it would be if you were cooking it on your stovetop or your regular oven for each time you open the door of the Sun Oven. So. You can do that um, quickly, uh, I mean, almost as quick. But, for example, let's say it's 1 in the afternoon and you know you want to eat at 5. If you just put your meal in the sun oven and you're facing where the sun's going to be at 3 o'clock, you can go back at 5 and it's done and it doesn't dry out. So, consequently, you don't have to worry about if you're an hour late or two hours late. It's really not going to make any difference at all.
1: Fantastic. What do you find is about the typical learning curve? Like somebody who's brand new to sun oven cooking, to just get up to speed, are they having to do a lot of recipe modifications? Are they having to unlearn and relearn? What's the typical scenario?
2: Well, there um, uh, the only recipe modification is if you're doing something, a typical stovetop thing um, that you would normally be cooking on a stovetop, um, say like rice or vegetables. Um, there you'd use about 25% less water than you would in a um, if you were cooking on the stovetop. And uh, uh, the reason for that is that anything you do cook in the sun oven, other than bakery goods, you do need to cook in a pot or, or with a lid on it or pan with a lid. Or if you're making a roast, you can do it in a, a pot or in a baking bag. So you're sealing the moisture into the pot. Um, and uh, if you don't seal the moisture in the pot, what happens is the moisture then will fog the inside of the glass so it's not up and it will really decrease its temperature. But the only modification you have to make is to um use a little bit less water when you get started. Um and if you use too much water, if you just cook it a little longer, eventually the water all absorbs into what you're cooking, so if you do make a mistake and use too much water it just um takes a little bit longer to cook but doesn't hurt anything at all and probably the biggest adjustment is people keep thinking that they need to um set a timer and set a you know a thermostat and have an exacting temperature but even the most exacting breads you can cook in the sun oven and on a day when it's partly cloudy you can cook it for longer at a lower temperature or you can cook it at the same length of time and uh you find even um, baking bread, uh, which normally is the thing that you have to be most cautious of, the amount of time and temperature when you do it in the sun oven. It's just so forgiving that you don't have to worry about it. People tell us all the time that they bake bread and forget that it's outside and leave it in for an extra hour or think, come back thinking their bread's ruined, and they can't tell the difference in taste. So <laughs> it's just amazing how forgiving it is when you cook with the sun.
1: Yeah, so it's almost more forgiving. You have a little bit more flexibility
2: Quite a bit more, yes, mm-hmm, definitely. Yeah,
1: that's fantastic. So, and that's so encouraging. Now talk to us about, um, you know, let's say someone gets a sun oven. Are they going to need anything special to go with it, like special pots and pans or utensils? Or what else do you need to get started?
2: Mm-hmm. Well, um, the one nice thing about the sun oven is that as far as pots and pans, you can use um, anything that's oven safe can be used in the sun oven. So, um you know, are some things you use in your microwave that you're not going to use in your um, regular oven and those things you don't want to use in the sun oven. But you can use any type of pot or pan in the sun oven. But the, the big difference is that the um, the thicker the pot, the longer it takes to cook. I mentioned the idea of cooking a chicken mm. quickly or cooking it slowly. If I was going to cook, um, try to cook the chicken in, say, an hour and a half or quickly, I'd want to use a thin pot. The the most efficient type of pots to use in the sun oven are the enamelware pots. Everybody probably has a turkey roaster that's enamelware and um you know that's by far the most efficient pot to use because it's thin and it's dark and that absorbs the heat quickly. If you're going to use something like um for slow cooking, then we'd recommend using a dutch oven and um if I put a, I mentioned the chicken. I said suggested starting with a frozen roast because if you're going to cook meat all day, you wouldn't want to start with a roast that's defrosted um, because of the, the danger zones with meats. But um, if you do put a frozen chicken in the sun oven, say at eight o'clock in the morning and set it facing south um, from eight to ten, your meat's going to be defrosting. From 10 to 2, it's going to be cooking, and then it will stay warm for hours after that. And the reason we suggest using a Dutch oven for that type of cooking is that the Dutch oven will serve as a heat sink. And once it gets hot, the sun oven is extremely well insulated. If you put it out in the morning and it's sunny and then you get to the afternoon and the um, sun gets cloudy or rainy, once the Dutch oven has come up to temperature, it will actually finish cooking Uh, allow the food to finish cooking, even if the sun disappears completely because of the retained heat Mm. of the Dutch oven inside the well-insulated sun oven. So the pots and pans that you choose are um, somewhat based on the time. Um, The only thing you want to be cautious of is if you're going to use a shiny pot, like a stainless steel pot that reflects light out of the sun oven. So you're going to want to take and put a... um, a dark dish towel on top of the shiny pot lid, so it doesn't reflect the light out of it, or if you're going to use say a casserole dish that you are using um aluminum foil in, we suggest you put the shiny side of the foil facing the food and then put a um dark dish towel over the dull side so it doesn't reflect light out of the sun oven and that keeps it from decreasing the temperature. So um, all of your standard, you can use corningware or um, any kind of glassware or stoneware or silicone. Um, So pretty much anything that's oven safe can be used when you want to cook in the sun oven.
1: Okay. So in these nuances, somebody brand new to sun oven cooking is not going to know them. So where where can somebody find out all these little things you've mentioned like if you're if you're going for the crock pot effect you want to use a dutch oven thick pan if you're going for the quick chicken roast you want a thin enamelware, and you always want a dark pan mm-hmm. or, or covered if you don't so what's your resource
2: for Well on our um website things? sunoven.com um we have a a button that says how to use. And I've made videos explaining virtually anything you want to know about cooking in a sun oven. So there's one video that you can watch on pots and pans where I explain that. Or um, one of the unique things in the sun oven is uh, making hard-boiled eggs because you don't even use water and freshly laid eggs um, peel real easily. Well, there's a video on how to do that. There's a some things you do a little different when you bake bread, and so we've made a video on that. So there's about 10 videos there on a whole variety of different subjects um, that allow you then to learn. Those videos are included in a CD, uh, computer CD that comes with the sun oven as well. And uh, uh, then there's written instructions that um, also explain that that are included in the box with the Sun Oven, and those written instructions great. can be viewed online on that how to use page at sunoven.com as well.
1: That's great. So now, Paul, it's probably a good time to reveal this um, really cool special we have for our listeners. So um, just before you begin, I'm going to tell everybody, if you want to check out um, a really special offer from Paul and um, the Sun Oven, you go to com slash sunoven, and it will give you special, um special coupon from traditional cooking school. And I'm just going to let Paul now tell us the details.
2: Yeah, um, what we've put together, we find a lot of people who get sun ovens get them to be prepared for emergencies. And so what we've um, – try to do then is uh we've come up with a whole package that uh, and by the way the sun oven can also be used as a solar dryer or dehydrator and so we've come out with what we call a um uh, a dry uh, preparedness and dehydrating package that um is designed for the sun oven and that package normally sells if you went to our website um the sun oven with that package sells for Uh, $399, but we're going to offer your listeners um, an $80 discount, and they can take advantage of an $80 discount and pay only $319. And with that, they would get the uh, newest model of the Sun Oven, which is called the All-American Sun Oven. They would get a set of stackable pots, the enamelware pots I mentioned. We have some custom-made pots that stack too high so you can cook more than one thing at a time in the sun oven. It comes with a dehydrating kit that has um three racks that can be used for dehydrating as well as for um baking flatbreads or cookies or things like that and that allows four layers for dehydrating. It comes with a set of bread pans and it also comes with a water pasteurization indicator. And so with the discount code that they can um with the link from your website, they'll be able to save $80 and get free shipping. So the price they would pay would be only $319. And unless they're located in the state of Illinois, there'd be no sales tax um, added to it. So that entire sun oven with the preparedness and dehydrating package is only $319 um, with all those additional accessories.
1: Wow, Paul, that is a fantastic package. And I want to let everybody know that I actually received it from Paul and from All-American Sun Oven, and I'm so excited, um, you know, after, after our winter, after we brighten up a little bit here in Oregon to actually put it to use. Um, so if you grab it, you'll be exploring it right along with me, and um, it'll be very exciting, and we can share that together. I want to ask you, Paul, if you could tell us a little bit more about winter solar cooking um, and if anybody, it, what do we do if we're in a sort of cloudy environment like I am in Oregon? Um, do you really need bright sun to cook with a sun oven? What are what are kind of the issues?
2: Okay, well, as far as cooking in the sun oven, the outside temperature doesn't make any difference. So it can be zero and sunny. Um, I've cooked in the sun oven in temperatures as as low as 10 below zero, and um, the cooking is pretty much the same. That the, the key is the amount of direct sunlight. And the rule of thumb is pretty simple in um, what, how much light you need. You need at least enough sun to cast a shadow. So if you go outside and you can see a shadow, then you can cook in the sun oven. If you can't see a shadow, if it's overcast to the point where you don't see a shadow, then um, it's not going to be a time that you can cook in it. Um, the nice thing about it is that on days when it's partly cloudy, um it will still cook. It's just going to take longer. It's going to be more like a slow cooker on cloudy days. But the, even things like bread, I've baked at temperatures as low as 225 degrees, and it takes longer, but the bread still comes out fine. In a regular oven, if you bake bread twice as long as you normally would, and you know, at a low temperature, it'd be so dry you couldn't eat it. But in the sun oven, it, it uh, takes longer, but it doesn't actually affect the quality of even things like bread. But um, so, the only difference so, in winter cooking, so, summer cooking. I'm sorry, go ahead.
1: <laughs> well, I just wanted to stop you there for a moment, just so I could clarify for me. If it, if you don't get a shadow, you can't even use it as a slow cooker, or you could. Is you it cannot. All or nothing, you, you, you cannot. Yeah, okay. right.
2: You cannot. Um, if you don't have enough sun to cast a the shadow, then um, you're not. going You need to be at least 180 degrees Fahrenheit to cook and. Um, the chances are that uh, it's very rare. I mean, sometimes if the sun's coming and going, you can maintain that. But um, if you're not getting 180 degrees, even as a slow cook, you're really not accomplishing um, you know, getting the food cooked. So um, okay, okay. That, that's the rule of thumb that we use, is that there has to be enough sun to cast a shadow.
1: Okay. That's a good rule of thumb. And, so, and if, if the sun is coming and going, we could also use the thermometer that's in the sun oven to just look and see if it's
2: maintaining 180 degrees. Right, like exactly. It, There's a built-in right. thermometer with it, and you just look right through the glass door of the sun oven, and you can see the thermometer, and then you can know the temperature and uh, at, a, at a glance. So that's a good way to know. Um, now, if you've started cooking and the sun disappears, if the food's more than half-cooked, um, it will finish cooking with its own retained heat. But if... Um, You are going to start cooking, and it's overcast, um, and you can't see a shadow. It's it's not a good idea to use the sun oven that day.
1: Mm -hmm. Now, what about drying or dehydrating foods? I mean, your package has the dehydrating Mm -hmm. parts, and uh, you've mentioned dehydrating. You've also mentioned that in the sun oven, foods don't dry out. So. Right, that that, that is kind of
2: confusing. Um, (laughs) The Sun Oven has a glass door that has latches that latch it down tight to form an airtight seal. So when we cook in the Sun Oven, we latch the glass door down tightly. That traps all the air inside, and then the air just gets hot and nothing dries out. When you use it as a solar dryer or dehydrator, um, if you turn one of the latches in towards the oven and just set the glass on top of it, that leaves a gap of air so the moist air can escape out of the sun oven and also keeps it from getting too hot. So when you dry in it, Mm -hmm. um, you just turn the um, latch in, you leave that little bit of a gap, and then the sun shines in. And um, with most things you dry, you want temperatures usually between about 110 and about 155 degrees Fahrenheit. And so by having the... um, the door open a little bit that allows that to happen if you're doing something say like jerky that's going to take more than one day to dry um what's nice about the sun oven is overnight you can leave whatever it is you're drying in the sun oven and just latch the latch tight overnight which will form an airtight seal suspend the drying process also keep bugs out of it overnight and then you could put it out the next day and uh, allow it to finish its drying
1: Wow, this is just so exciting. What strikes me um, as so awesome about this is how versatile it is, how forgiving it is, um, but also, and from watch, from editing and watching Tammy use hers, and I also have a friend, and I've been over gardening with her, and she's got her roast in the solar oven just cooking away all day, and she just you know, leaves the garden every half hour or so to turn it
2: <laughs> and check on
1: it. Anyway... Um, what was I saying? My third point was um how easy it is to use. I mean, the flaps and the glass you can see what's going on and you and the 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 food is in there just and the way it's tilted. I mean, I it's just amazing. Um mm-hmm. so w- what did you say, Tom, right? Tom's the man who designed it.
2: Tom Burns was the inventor of the oven. You know, he did He's an incredible invent- job of um designing it. I mean, um If your um, listeners get a chance to take a look at one of the videos on the sun oven, they'll see that the reflector assembly is attached to the oven. It takes less than five seconds to set up, and if you want to follow the sun, um, align it with the sun. There's a leg in the back that's got uh, 10 different settings that you can set to meet the sun on the horizon, and then there's Um, cubes mounted to the glass that allow you to know exactly where it is in relationship to lining it up with the sun so there's no guesswork to lining it up with the sun Um, just a simple cube that's got a hole on the top and a hole on the bottom and you just let the sun shine through the top hole and center it on the bottom hole so there's the learning curve for all of those things is is probably no more than 10 minutes it's just a matter of putting Mm -hmm. it in the sun and, and starting to use it
1: hmm And so, in these 18 years, you've been working working with it. Um, tell us about if I, I mean, maybe Tom had it perfect, but can you tell us a little bit about the process and maybe improvements you've made, the construction, the materials. Um, what's happened in the time since you came to the yeah, project?
2: Um, uh, in 2013, we came out with the All American Sun Oven. Prior to that, there was. Um, we sold what was called the Global Sun Oven, and the Global Sun Ovens had been on the market since 1986, so they were extremely well tested. But in the years that I've been working with it, I took the comments that people had about the Global Sun Oven, and probably the single biggest thing people didn't like about the original model was its size. It was just slightly too small to, on the inside to be able to handle your standard 9 by 12 baking pans. And so In 2013, when we came out with the new All-American Sun Oven, we made it 20% larger on the inside so it could accommodate uh, baking pans. Um, I mentioned those alignment cubes. They were not in the original Sun Oven, and uh, so um, people were always kind of guessing as to how to align it with the Sun. And we made videos and instructions, but a lot of times people were confused as to how to align it, so we added those. And then... The other issue that people often had problems with was the wind. Sometimes the wind would blow the sun oven over, so the alignment uh, or the leg that allows you to meet the sun on the horizon, we made a T-shaped on the new model, sun oven, the current model, and it also, um, the the bottom of the uh, T has holes drilled in, and it. it comes with stakes so that if you're in an area that's extremely windy, then you can stake it to the ground and you don't have to worry about it blowing over. And then... Um, in the the sun oven has a leveling rack on the inside of it so that if you raise or lower it or move it to follow the sun, your food stays level while you're doing that. And in the new model of the sun oven, but um, we designed that rack so it can easily be removed and put in the bottom of the sun oven. And um, uh, by doing that, you have a much larger cooking area. In the summertime, the sun's pretty much overhead all the time. So you don't Unless you're cooking real early in the morning or in the late afternoon, you don't use the leg in the back much. So if you want to, then um, you never want to put a pot or a pan directly on the floor of the sun oven because if you do that, uh, you don't have airflow all the way around it. But the, the rack for leveling folds up. You can set it in the bottom, and then you can actually make up to a 21-pound turkey in a baking bag. So um, it really gives you a much larger area to work with by doing that. So And then the glass on the sun oven um, – on the original model, we on the new model, we made it 25% thicker. And um, it used to be that um, people would have, sometimes would break their glass. Um, and since we've come out with a new model, um, which has been, um, well, next month will be two years, we um, have uh, only had to replace, I think, four pieces of glass, even though we sold thousands of ovens. So the thicker glass... Um, allows, then it's more durable, but also we've gone to a low iron glass that filters out less sun. And by going to the low iron glass, we could expand the size of the inside of the sun oven without expanding the exterior size and allow it to get just as hot. So um, the size is somewhat ideal for cooking but it, it folds up and carries like a suitcase, and um, we didn't want to make it too big and too cumbersome for people to carry, so we were able to improve the size inside by changing the glass on the oven.
1: Wow. So clearly, everyone, you can see how much thought has gone into every part of the Sun Oven. Uh, I really enjoyed that, Paul, just to hear about, you know, the new model Um So I just want to remind everyone, if you go to com slash Sun Oven, then you can check out the special page with the traditional cooking school coupon that expires at the end of this month, um, saving you 50 to $80, depending on what you choose. Um, Paul, tell us though, because this podcast is going to be up for a while. Um, what can we tell the people who are going to be listening to this after February um, about the special coupon?
2: Okay. Well, um, That page will actually, um, stay up after February and then any new special offers that we have, um, new packages we come up with or discount offers we come up with will be available. So if you are able to get it in February with the current offer, that'd be great. If you're not, um, hang on to the link to the, um, that discount page and check back on it and, uh, Uh, throughout the year. It will continue to be up there with um, whatever current um, special or offer we have available.
1: Great. Thank you so much for your generosity, Paul. Um, It's just a treat because you have been working with the Sun Oven, you know, for 18 years. You obviously um, live and breathe it. You've been all over the world teaching on it. So it's refreshing to speak to you because What's the phrase? You practice what you preach. I mean, all the tips you've shared. Um, I just hope everybody's been taking notes. I'm going to have to go back and re-listen to this and write down everything you said. But I also know that you've got a lot of resources on your site um, with videos to to share these tips. And let me remind everyone, this very week we released a set of solar, or sorry, sun oven cooking videos for members of traditional cooking school. So you got to go check out Tammy. And she's make, making up some wonderful things in the sun oven. You got to go check that out if you're a member. Um, Paul, before we close here, let's just um, end with if you have any last-minute tips or advice to give people.
2: Well, um, one of the things I do want to mention, I noticed when I had looked at um, your blog that uh, you raise chickens, and uh, one of the things that people who raise chickens just love about the sun oven is making hard-boiled eggs. So if cool, um, cool. if you take and you, um, you don't even use water, if you just take an egg and you put it on the shelf of the sun oven, um, it will hard-boil perfectly. But the nice thing is that a freshly laid egg, which, as you know, is just about impossible to peel when you hard-boil it in water unless you store it for a while first, you can take an egg right when it drops out of the chicken, hard-boil it in the sun oven, and it will peel easily, that membrane that builds up between the egg shell and the egg white disappears. So it's a, a phenomenal wow. way to make hard-boiled eggs. And if you take cardboard egg cartons and you rip the lids off of them, you can do two dozen eggs in the sun oven at the same time. So you can hard-boil two dozen eggs at, at one time. It takes about an hour to do two dozen eggs. What I usually do after um, 55 minutes to an hour is I open the door of the sun oven using an oven mitt or a hot pad and take one egg out, and set it on a table and spin it. And if it spins nice and evenly, then I know it's done. If it wobbles when it spins, I'll usually put it back in for another 10 minutes or so. And uh, hmm. people have been frustrated by the whole issue of trying to peel a freshly laid egg. Um, some people buy a sun oven for no other reason just to do their hard-boiled eggs in it because <laughs> it, it, it really takes all of that frustration away. So it, um that's probably one of the most unique things that you can do with it.
1: <laughs> That's cool. It's uniquely suited to hard-boiled eggs. That is, I mean, how, how many how many cooks have been frustrated over peeling eggs? I know I have. It is frustrating when they don't peel. And when you have your own chickens or you have friends with chickens, um, you know, you just a lot of times they're very fresh. <laughs> they don't do good hard-boiled eggs. <laughs> Fresh is good, but not with hard-boiled. So that's fantastic mm-hmm. The Sun Oven takes care of it. That's mm-hmm. great. So everyone, if you have that problem, you need a Sun Oven. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Paul. I uh, appreciate great. your time, your generosity, and I just want to encourage everyone to check out the discount, com slash Sun Oven. You can check out the packages Paul's put together for you. If you have any questions about solar cooking, Sun Ovens definitely visit the show notes for this episode, knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash 101. Thanks so much, Paul.
2: Thank you. Bye now.
0: Thank you so much for joining me today. I hope to see you again soon. Let me tell you what you can do next. You can visit the show notes for this episode. Just go to knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash, and then without a space, just type the number of this episode. You'll get links and much more information about what we've been talking about. You can submit questions for future episodes. I love to answer your questions on the air. So go to knowyourfoodpodcast.com questions to submit them. You can stop by traditionalcookingschool.com to get five free traditional cooking videos from me. And finally, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, the podcast app, or Stitcher. If you're on a mobile device, just search for Know Your Food with Warty while you're in the app. If you're on a desktop, go to knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash iTunes right in your browser. While you're there, please do leave a rating or review. I love to get them, love to read your comments, and they're invaluable to help other people find this podcast. Thank you so much.